0: This is Human Coined, a series that unpacks the mechanics of public finance, the complexities of democracy, and the societies they ultimately shape. I'm your host, Jeff DeBro. Join me in a social dialogue that cracks open important issues that are too often ignored here at home and around the world. Hello, I'm Jeff DeBro, and welcome to the Human Coined podcast. It's just me this week. And uh, the reason I wanted to do this podcast on my own is I wanted to take some time to share some recent experience working in and with countries that are in debt distress or in some cases at high risk of debt distress. Uh, Many have IMF bailout agreements, and I've been working with institutions such as parliaments and civil society to strengthen their involvement in the debt crisis in terms of helping to find a solution and rectify the situation. And I wanna talk particularly about the body of literature that I developed a few years ago related to oversight of public debt, specifically for the rules of parliament uh, and how I'm starting to rethink some of those assumptions based on the experience on the ground. So here we go, let's get started. Uh, I wanted to start by saying, By talking a bit about how I became interested in this issue in the first place. I started working in about 2016 uh, with a number of debt management units in the Caribbean. And this was really my first exposure to to working directly with debt management units. Uh, They're generally situated in the the Ministry of Finance. And interestingly enough, even though the, the capacity, of course, in some of the Caribbean countries, I was working in the Eastern Caribbean states, the OECS, that some of the the, the capacity of some of the states is very limited. I found that the debt managers, the people in the debt management unit, were particularly interested in the roles that other institutions could play in terms of helping to uh, be more effective in the work they did around public debt. And this I found this very attractive because I think generally – large organizations, be it government or the private sector, people tend to operate in boxes. And so when they're working outside their box, when they're looking outside their box to see who else can be involved, who in other boxes can be involved, this is a very promising approach. And so, you know, I started to work on a concept called Debt Management Universe. And the concept is really that that no one institution, certainly not the Ministry of Finance, can really help to resolve uh, the debt issue properly. And so I started to create a body of literature just at the beginning of COVID, maybe a few months before COVID, and then into the COVID period, on the role of Parliament in oversight and public debt. Uh, Looking at what could Parliament do to be more effective in overseeing public debt levels during the budget process, through all four stages of the budget process, as well as uh, how they can strengthen the debt management legal framework and how they can strengthen parliamentary approval of loan agreements, both ex ante and ex post. So I developed a, a policy brief for the Westminster Foundation for Democracy in 2020 on the role of parliament in public debt management. I developed an e-course for the Westminster Foundation or at least the, 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 the technical content for the course on the same subject. And then I developed a series of four briefs on different aspects of the role of Parliament in public debt management in 2022 for the National Democratic Institute and the Westminster Foundation. Uh, And and those, in a sense, constituted a body of theory that is now finally post-COVID when we're able to travel uh, much more is a way to test that theory and to test the reaction on the ground against some of the recommendations that were made in that body of literature. And I think the, the, the recommendations still hold, you know, for example, to say that that parliamentary committee should review the medium term debt strategy is a very valid approach. You see that, you know, certainly Kenya is an example of a country with, that is doing that quite actively. But it's also a programmatic question of how can you have the maximum impact in getting parliaments and other members of this debt management universe, other institutions in the universe, how can you get them to be more effective in the work that they do? Uh, in helping to to deal with the public debt situation. So I started to work in a number of parliaments that are in debt distress. Uh, I'll give the example of Zambia and Sri Lanka. And unfortunately, what I saw generally is that parliaments are, in a sense, sleepwalking through the debt crisis. There's a very stove-piped approach, which I wasn't expecting, which means that really one committee has been designated as the committee to deal with the debt situation. And let's say that ends up being the Finance Committee, for example, in in many countries. But there's also, of course, as you know, a Public Accounts Committee that can be involved ex post, for example, looking at Auditor General reports, Supreme audit Institution reports into, uh, for example, the government's debt management practices. There's also state-owned enterprise uh, committees that can be looking into the state of contingent liabilities in, in, in state-owned enterprises and looking at enterprises that are, that, are, that are not profitable, for example. But generally what I saw was a more stovepiped piped approach where really only one committee is playing this role. Um, I, I was at a very interesting workshop that I uh, was a co-facilitator. It was a six-country workshop in May 2023, uh, mm-hmm. sponsored by the National Democratic Institute, and uh, there was a number of, six countries there, Kenya, which is at high risk of debt distress, Ghana, which is in debt distress, the Gambia, which is at high risk distress, uh, at high risk of debt distress, Mozambique, which is in debt distress, and Zambia, which is in debt distress, as well as Liberia. Um, and one of the conclusions that came out of that, both directly and indirectly, that is in the, some of the comments that were made by, MPs and members of civil society that were at the workshop was that the traditional parliamentary structures don't seem to be able to play that role of overseeing public debt as robustly as we would like. And one of the things we noticed was that, and and again, this is not just my observations, but we had MPs making these, these, these observations from those six countries, was that in cases where you had a government member chairing a parliamentary committee, it made it very difficult for that committee to play a robust approach. Now, the idea of government member chairmanship or chairpersonship or chair, uh, chairing of a parliamentary committee and the fact that that does not necessarily allow committees to operate robustly is not new. I mean, that's why there's a Westminster standard, for example, that in many countries or in most countries with a parliamentary Westminster parliamentary tradition, the public accounts committee, for example, is chaired by uh, a member of the opposition party. But unfortunately, what we were seeing was that the political will didn't seem to exist in those committees. And you have to ask, sorry, in committees that were chaired by a government member. And we have to ask, you know, is this because this debt situation is too partisan? And I don't think it's partisan in a traditional sense. But I think that the government, often governments that have brought countries into a debt crisis, Obviously, the, mem- the committee chairs, if they are from the same party, they don't feel that they have, a, 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 you know, the latitude. Their 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 actions and, and behavior is fairly tightly controlled in making sure that they're they're not embarrassing the government uh, and and exposing the government to to the kind of embarrassment that could lo- could lead them to losing the next election. The other observation that came out of that six member uh, six country workshop was that. In some cases, the government members that were were appointed to head key committees that were pro- providing oversight of public debt were fairly junior in nature. That is, that they were not ex- necessarily experienced parliamentarians or experienced uh, former committee or you know former committee chairs, and so that led people to question whether necessarily the right people were playing that role. I think all of this sort of led to the conclusion. Uh, that it's important to move beyond the traditional parliamentary structures. The traditional parliamentary committee system, while there is certainly a role for it to play, I don't think it can adapt fast enough to the changing situation to be able to retool for multiple committees to play that kind of robust oversight role that we were just talking about a few minutes ago. So I think this is what led to a large mea culpa for me in saying, you know, in looking back at my career and saying, well, it's time to be much more involved in working with civil society organizations. And, I, and I, I'm, you know, very pleased and proud to say that I've had that opportunity in the last year to, to do more work with civil society, and I'd like to continue that work. Um, And, you know, a great example would be the Zambia Debt Alliance, the CSO Debt Alliance in in Zambia. I was uh, asked by the National Democratic Institute to to provide some training to the the Debt Alliance. And we talked a lot about open budget processes, fiscal and debt transparency, entry points for CSOs to press for government and parliamentary action on oversight of public debt. And this is a really good example of an opportunity to involve CSOs in the debt process. Here you have a very disparate group of NGOs or civil society organizations with very different, not only interests, but mandates. Some of of the mandates of those organizations that are members of the Debt Alliance are not necessarily uh, NGOs that are working on the debt situation on a full-time basis, but all of their missions somehow intersect with the issue of public debt if you're a social justice organization and your your mandate is to you know bring a more inclusive lens to society certainly there is a part of your mandate that could you could certainly say is is related to doing more work on ensuring that that uh, government is more prudent in the way that it spends its money and in the way it addresses its debt situation so that there's more fiscal space in the future for Equitable and inclusive programming, for example. I would say also that the other experience that I had that was very positive in in July of 2023 was I worked in Sri Lanka for the Westminster Foundation for Democracy on a uh, 40 plus member strong economic inclusion working group that consisted of um, individuals from a variety of sectors. So civil society, yes members of parliament, the private sector, some government officials, the media, for example. And this was a great opportunity to, to mobilize uh, individuals around a common goal. And this economic inclusion working group is really there to develop that inclusive lens so that during the economic crisis that's taking place now, the, the, the most vulnerable people uh, are not forgotten during the crisis. During the economic crisis, that 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 programming is designed and inclusive for those people. So you know, a very very important common goal. And we talked about a series of possible approaches uh, that that they could take. And it's interesting because the the there is an IMF economic program, the Economic uh, Fund Facility that's in place right now, and the EFF. And I, I, it seems like the, uh, the agreement was a bit of a catalyst of, for action, for focusing attention on a number of issues that are happening around the issue of public debt. So, you know, for example, there are a number of uh, structural benchmarks and quantitative performance criteria that you'll find in the IMF agreement, which is publicly available and you can read it. Uh, I'm talking about the Sri Lankan one, for example. You know, there are debt and fiscal targets. There are, there are promises to change legislation, such as the anti-corruption legislation, commitments to improving public debt management legislation, and improving debt transparency. And so the question there becomes, who is going to provide input to press for international best practices in transparency, parliamentary involvement, et cetera, et cetera? So is the government going to rewrite the legislation and then the IMF is going to tick a box and say, oh, okay, we passed that uh, structural benchmark, we got that legislation in place. Or is civil society going to push hard and other uh, institutions push hard to ensure that best practices are included in that legislation? And that's really, I think, the the fundamental difference. Let let me just give you one very tangible example. If you look at uh, uh, Kenya's Public Debt Management Act, against Zambia's Public Debt Management Act. The Kenyan Public Debt Management Act is much more uh, prescriptive in providing a, a very tangible role for parliament to play in oversight of public debt. So for example, it will say not only that you know, the government must table a medium term debt strategy by a certain day or a certain month, but also that it will be tabled in parliament and reviewed by, the, by a parliamentary committee. The Zambian legislation, for example, mentions, I believe, the medium attempt debt strategy now, the updated legislation, but it doesn't really prescribe a role for Parliament short of that legislation being tabled. So there is a role for civil society and others to play in pushing for more robust legislation. It's not enough to say you have a public debt management act. And there are experts out there um, who, who certainly focus on the strengthening of that type of legislation. Um, There's a very capable civil society, you know, I think specifically of of Sri Lanka because I met with uh, members of the civil society in Sri Lanka, not only at that uh, EIWG meeting, but also at a round table. And, you know, I would say that this is a very uh, advanced group with a lot of knowledge and, and a lot of potential uh, it's just a matter of making sure that they get plugged into the uh, the work that's going on around the development of this legislation. So even providing a coordinating function to coordinate CSO input and support to ensure that these structural benchmarks and quantitative performance criteria are reached uh, and that, that they include best practices, I think, is, is, uh, is, is very, very important. So this really calls for a multi-sector approach that's required. Uh, we also talked about forming a debt alliance. And there's been a lot of had a lot of conversations uh recently about forming debt alliances. I just recently did a second interview with Mae Buenaventura uh from the Asian People's Movement on Debt and Development, second podcast interview to talk to her about. Uh why debt alliances are so debt justice alliances are, are can be so potent, and what their mandate is. Um, and I think this is this is certainly looking at what ha- what's happened in Zambia around the CSO debt alliance. I think the idea of creating debt alliances, debt justice alliances, is very important to making sure that that civil society comes together and is able to really understand how the government functions, what the entry points are for involvement around. Uh, oversight of public debt, uh, where their input can be garnered, and and to really be able to then push and execute that strategy, I think is 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 very very important. The other issue that I think has come up in countries where there is a uh, an, an IMF agreement, and as I said, the IMF agreement is a bit of a catalyst for action in terms of it's a focal point. You know, you could, it, it's something you could, a lot of the issues around, that, around the debt crisis will be found addressed in the IMF agreement, uh, not always the satisfaction of every party, but nonetheless, it's a starting point. And so I think you know, monitoring the fiscal and debt targets of the IMF agreement is very important. Uh, another podcast interview that I did recently with Dr. Peter Phillips, who is a former finance minister in Jamaica, and he talked about uh, the, the presence of a, a working group Uh, sorry, of an oversight group in Jamaica that was responsible in 2013 when he was finance minister that he appointed to oversee the fiscal and debt targets around the debt crisis. Um, So again, making sure that uh, there's a robust involvement in the process. I think in some cases what I've seen is more of what I would call a paternalistic approach, which is really the IMF and the government will take care of the crisis and everybody else will just stay informed on on what's happening and I think it's very important uh, to move beyond that and to make sure that there is robust civil society involvement. So those are some of my thoughts um, on on the sort of different approach. So you know a few years ago I started out focusing on parliaments and I think that's still very important but as, as I become more deeply involved and have more experience on the ground I'm starting to see the opportunity for involving civil society organizations uh, to ha- having multi-sectoral working groups come together to discuss this issue. Uh, certainly, I think there needs to be more widespread training for parliamentarians on this subject. And I think organizations, multilateral organizations like the IMF, really need to broaden, broaden their approach. Yes, of course, they are ultimately mandated to work with governments. But there has to be recognition at some point that historically that process does not work without external intervention. And by external, I mean intervention of other groups within the country that are part of that debt management universe, be it media, civil society, uh, the Supreme Audit Institution, and the like. So those are some of my thoughts uh, that I wanted to share with you. I think this is going to lead to some new work that will be done on on reconceptualizing uh, sort of the role of the debt management universe in countries that are in debt distress. And I look forward to getting that out to you soon. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, The next podcast will sort of assume the usual interview format. It won't always be me just talking, but I thought I wanted to share some, some observations from some of the work that I have done. So thank you very much. And until next time, take good care. coin is an integral part of Nexus PFM Consulting. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also find us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions about the work we do, you can contact us at info at nexuspfm.com.